when we think about climate justice, we want to compartmentalize and segment the environment. We're thinking about nature. When we think about justice, we're only thinking about people and not to see how they're all really connected. The economics, white supremacy and colonization and our destruction of the environment are really all intertwined. So within our spiritual grounding, we have to be thinking, what does it mean to care for Earth and saying that as human beings, we are part of Earth. Hi, this is Michael Tino, and I'm a minister at the Church of the Larger Fellowship, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you perspective and allows you to experience the power of Unitarian Universalism at work in your life. Enjoy the message. I'm here with uh, my friend and co-host, the Reverend Don Fortune. How are you today, Don? I am well, Michael. Thank you. I'm excited to see our guest today. It's nice to have friendly faces. We are talking with folks from the UU Ministry for Earth today about spiritual grounding and worship in in this time of climate crisis. And so we're really looking forward to to getting into the spirituality of the work that they're doing. So let me introduce them without further ado. We have with us today John Joshua Long, who is the Director of Music Ensembles at the UU Church of Annapolis, Maryland. Joshua is a student at Wesley Theological Seminary working on an MDiv with specialization in public theology. He's participated in different climate justice events, and he is on the board of directors for UU Ministry for Earth. His heart for faith, climate justice, and social change is made clear in his music and his ministry. We have with us today uh, Daniel Lawler, who is excited to be the new co-director for fundraising and communications with the UU Ministry for Earth. Uh, drawing on his family's example of engaged religious practice and community work in Rhode Island, Daniel is inspired by caring communities and honored to witness the joys and sorrows in our faith. A former middle school teacher and development director, Daniel is a proud graduate of Boston University School of Theology and served as a ministerial intern at First Unitarian Church of Boston. And Daniel hopes to meet you at a climate justice event. And we are also joined by Cindy Davidson. The Reverend Cindy Davidson has served as the board chair of the UU Ministry for Earth for the last two years and has been a board member for eight years. She's an ordained UU minister and previously served the fourth UU Congregation of Westchester in Mohegan Lake, New York. I know Cindy and I'm glad to be here with her again. Cindy's pathway to ordained ministry took root in her home congregation, First Parish in Lexington, Massachusetts where she was active with the Green Sanctuary and Social Action Teams. She is a Green Faith Fellow and holds an MDiv from Meadville Lombard Theological School. So uh, Joshua and Daniel and Cindy, it is so good. It's so good to have you with us. Tell us tell us a little bit, Daniel, if you would, about the, the mission of UU Ministry for Earth and how it's evolving. Totally. Thank you so much for having us. One of the things that I find really grounding about UU Ministry for Earth is part of what we do is spiritual and educational grounding, and our other tradition is accountable action. So really this blend of of the spiritual and educational support so that we understand and grow in, in community around climate justice and environmental justice issues, and then also through the program partnerships, everything from our BIPOC caucus for climate justice to UU Young Adults for climate justice to 
the convenings that happen at different times of the year. We try to create multiple spaces for people as people of faith, as you use, to engage in the issues of environmental justice. Um, to me, that's energizing. And, and I was pulled into this by just the, when I met with Cindy and Joshua just over the last few months, hearing more about the work, I could just tell their passion and excitement for it. So Cindy and Joshua, maybe you want to add into this conversation and share some of that passion. I, I know you come to this work as UU ministers and candidate for, for the UU ministry. How does this work feed your spirit and connect to, to your, your theology? I'll jump in. First, really great to, to see you guys. I would say the climate crisis really feels like the impending thing. So all social justice work really depends on how we address the climate crisis. And so when I think about our spiritual grounding, both for myself and for ministry, I think our relationship to nature, earth, how we connect to earth, how we do that in worship and in our own lives is really crucial. Um, because I think that is really part of the sustaining nature of um, doing environmental justice work. Um, and that's if when we don't have these areas that ground us, if we are not taking time to just spend time with the trees, to get to know the mountains, get to know the ocean in a real, real touch and feel place, we can get really lost in the work and, and sort of forget why we're doing the things we're doing. I think one of the most important things that we do at UU Ministry for Earth is to bring the faith perspective into environmental and climate work. Surely there are lots of other organizations that are doing very important things. But as you use, we always bring our principles into the public square and into our congregational uh, team meetings and things like this. So that faith perspective is very important. And it's something that we have to develop. We have to flex those muscles, build our spiritual resilience to be able to sustain the kind of activism that is needed these days. You know, we're in a climate emergency. Um, I heard a, a gentleman yesterday who was uh, the chair of the Interfaith Power and Light, Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, say in a conference yesterday, we are in a pandemic, yes, but we are in a climademic. And I love that term. I hadn't heard anyone use it before. But it really puts forth the urgency rather than saying we have eight years, we have 10 years, we're in a climademic that gets at home. And to sustain the kind of changes that are needed, we need to be spiritually grounded in our daily lives and also our communal lives. So that's the kind of work that we're trying to help support and, and further. Yeah, I was having a conversation just yesterday with, with someone who, you know, was overwhelmed. Yes. by just the sheer magnitude of the climate crisis that's in front of us. And, you know, to me, overwhelm is in part a spiritual condition that, that we have to address religiously. Certainly, yeah, just do stuff is, is, is part of it. And we're going to get to to things that you're doing when you come back in two weeks, right? But today we're here to talk about that spiritual Grounding. I imagine you hear it all the time as Ministry for the Earth. Someone says to you, you know, I just, I read the stories about the, the 
IPCC, I think I'm getting that right, report. And it's just overwhelming. And I'm like one person and there are seven and a half billion people on the earth and I can't do this. Like what, how do you respond spiritually to that? Daniel, do you want to comment on that? Uh, yeah. The thing that I find grounding with UU Ministry for Earth is we have so many affiliate traditions that maybe emphasize UU Christian Fellowship, UU Humanist, the Pagan Covenant. Within UU Ministry for Earth, it's like a meeting place. It can be a vehicle where multiple theologies can kind of come together. Um, I think as a, as a larger ministry, and Joshua can speak to this more eloquently than I can, but the the Earth-based service that kind of came out of this pandemic crisis. Um, some of the viewers may have encountered the UU Ministry for Earth Earth Day service last year. And I think that for, for us as a ministry was a growing point of how, how do we offer worship services that can kind of connect um, in a UU liturgy, the, the aches and heartaches. Personally, I've been really drawn to the theology of Howard Thurman um, as former former chaplain at Howard University, former dean at Boston University, just the tremendous voice for interfaith spirituality and mentor to Martin Luther King, Jesse Jackson, so many mid 20th century civil rights leaders. Um, and one phrase Dr. Thurman really emphasized was we can never return to innocence, but we can move forward with integrity. And for me, that's that's this kind of invitation to think in our personal practices, what are habits we can cultivate to center and, and meet one another in, in our churches to connect. So that's a grounding place for me. Yeah, one of the um, things that I thought came of doing the Earth Day worship service was that in the past, we've done a lot of resources for congregations to use. And this was an attempt to really create something that was both a complete grounding space and as well offer up, hey, if you need to use this, you can use um, this piece of the service, you can use this music and, and whatnot. And what we found was, I think partially was a way to serve UUs both in the pandemic, where in a virtual church world, worship when online becomes a bit of production, if you will. Producing worship services is a, is a lift. Um, and so being able to offer different uh, resources for congregations to use, I think, was something a bit of an eye opener. And it's allowing us to kind of explore what other ways we can serve through spiritual grounding and, and, and resources that people can use. And of course, to encourage other people that there, these are all different ways to really address, as you mentioned, that overwhelming, that climate anxiety that that's coming up for a lot of us. When you mentioned overwhelming, I felt the chills in my body. Just, yes, it is, it's so overwhelming. But when we come together and worship, when we find places to, in a pandemic, sing, in our, sing, sing silently or sing in our homes or places to have our spiritual practices, both in our own backyards and as a community, um, those are areas where we can kind of move through that climate anxiety that can feel so paralyzing for many people and move to a place where we do see uh, places to act, where we can see chances for hope and change. 
I'm thinking, I've been thinking a lot about accessibility as we're trying to change uh, worship in my congregation, in the congregation I serve um, from, <clears throat> you know, we used to be on Zoom and now we're in person, but we're still trying to do live stream and, and my focus is on accessibility. How do we make everything accessible to folks who maybe can't get out of the house or who are, who are physically challenged or, or, or medically fragile. And I'm, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about how much the congregation I serve is really devoted to the natural world. Um, they have a building that is uh, built in um, the Pinelands of South Jersey. Um, it is a 100% green building. It's heated with uh, geothermal stuff. It's got solar everywhere. Um, and yet, as I watch my congregation and my congregants age, I see them less and less able to get close to the earth and experience the earth in ways that used to be deeply meaningful for them. And I'm thinking also about folks, like some folks when they, they move into an assisted care uh, situation or um, or if they get into um, a high-rise apartment building where they don't have access necessarily to even be able to touch grass anymore. And I'm thinking, how, how do we, how do I provide access for them to the natural world, to the, to the spiritual grounding of an earth-centered practice um, when they're no longer able to touch the earth? I don't think that's the nut we cracked open, Dawn. <laughs> Tell Glad you I could truth. help, Cindy. Glad I could help. <laughs> but I mean, you do raise a very important um, point um, for people who are aging or medically fragile, and also people who just simply lack access because of the community they live in. So it mm -hmm. does cover all age spectrums. So I think those are, are very important things, and I, I don't know the solutions. I know some workarounds I would use, which are things like there are studies to show, for instance, the effect of looking at a horizon, how it reduces your anxiety and cortisol levels, and that the same effect can be replicated by looking at a painting or a photograph of the horizon. Now, I don't know that the tactile part of touching the earth would be quite the same with a photo or a picture. I doubt it. It doesn't. And and we all know that the sound of the ocean waves or the feel of the salt spray in the air is, you know, you can't capture that digitally. So unfortunately, I don't have a solution, but I can empathize with how challenging that would be. I wonder if part of our response is through ritual and um, if this is something that can be addressed in, in worship in a certain mm -hmm. way. I think I mean, the visualization- We bring, thing, we bring things in to our worship service and I just you know like I think so Joshua for example you do music and as a musician evoke things in worship you you have a particular artistic lens on how to how to bring things into a worship I wonder I, I'm, I'm thinking out loud right now so please feel free if you may I, I, I want to add to this idea of how, how to minister to, to our uh, differently able-bodied communities. I think that ritual is so important. I think also having those, those people in the congregation who can visit and assist 
in, in allowing people to find ways to connect right in their home. And as you said, it, is there a window? Just having, when I open, pull up the blinds and, you know, yes, there are cars outside, but I can see a sky. That is, to me, is just huge. And in terms of worship, how to dress up with music and uh, liturgy and art, those are the things that might also, if we're being conscious of the different ways people experiencing spirituality, whether it's finding music, the visual aspects, whether it's in the offering meditations, or one thing I think about is our water ceremony and our flower communion, blessing of the animals. These are all rituals that we have that, while yes, they come around at certain parts of the year, highlighting those things and finding ways, well, how, how do they spill over into the rest of worship? You know, those are things that maybe we can even think about. As I don't have all the solutions that Cindy's saying, but it's definitely, I really appreciate that, that acknowledgement. One, one thing, Joshua, you've raised before that really influenced me is thinking about how we normalize, like in our worship service, liturgies of lament, building into our, our prayers or meditations, just references to reality that we're living in. And Ali Tharp, who you'll meet, your viewers will meet in two weeks or so at the, the next UMFE show on The View, really has a whole vision of our local congregations it, learning about the endangered species in the area and creating laments that are particular to the communities and the areas that we're in and really trying to foster through worship, even as we experience it on Zoom, just reminders that we're in a place and that place has particular identities and stories that we're part of and that our worship communities can take time to elevate. Yeah, I, I think about um, the choir in the congregation I serve here in in Mount Kisco, New York, has a favorite piece that they love to sing called River. It's a Bill Staines piece that you might be familiar with, uh, but it was arranged for choir by a former musician who, who was at our congregation years ago. And they love to sing it. So I have them sing it on a regular basis. And during the pandemic, they did this virtual recording that so many people did. And then they made videos out of those recordings. And the person who made the video, because we're here in Westchester County, New York, just a little north of, of New York City, accompanied the song with photographs of the Hudson River from its source at Lake Tear in the Clouds in the Adirondacks, all the way down through the Hudson Valley to uh, the Verrazano Narrows in New York. So as they're singing this song about the river rolling to the sea, they're being grounded in the beauty and the phenomenal beauty of the particular river that feeds us here in New York. And I had to take a moment of like prayer after I saw this video <laughs> for the first time, because I knew where all those pictures came from, right? I travel up and down the state of New York. And so I've been to these places and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know what lake that is. And it was just such a beautiful grounding experience is the best way I can put it to really to connect us with the particular part of the earth that we are planted on as, as a congregation right now. 
And it just, it really made a difference that that's the way he thought about this piece. I'm wondering if you all have examples from from worship or ritual or even your own spiritual practice that might help people have that sort of that sort of feeling. Well, I'm not in a congregational setting right now, so I don't have anything that I've used recently. But I am a person who came to the whole idea of spiritual grounding a little agnostically. And to be honest, it was in seminary when when I had that class on spiritual practices for healing and wholeness. But I oh God, even, that was a brutal class. Yes, and it was <laughs> an introduction to all sorts of practices, and that's where I really learned to get out of my scientific humanist approach to life and connect with something else, and to also stop getting tripped up by religious language from other traditions. I grew up Methodist, and that just tripped me up endlessly. And we were introduced to such a range of spiritual practice, lamentation, the wailing wall, meditation, walking, chanting, yoga, centering prayer and Lectio Divina. And that's the one that grabbed me, probably because I love words and reading. And we did a lot of work. And we had to commit because it was a class. You know, you had to commit and ministers should know these things. So um, I recall doubling down on the idea of Lectio Divina, which is supposed to be that you read a passage and that it inspires you and then you reflect on it, et cetera. And instead of using scriptures exclusively, I used a lot of environmental writings. So I would go to nature writers. I would go to commentarians like Bill McKibben, you know, a book of essays about climate and moral grounding, things like this. And I found that I could really do with that kind of material what spiritual practices are meant to do, which is to have you wrestle with your place in this world that we call the interdependent web of life. And it's a place to be vulnerable and find some strength and some resilience and really hone in on what you believe and what you stand for, et cetera. So I just want to put out there that the idea of spiritual practices is um, something I'm, I, I'm concerned a lot of people are afraid of or shy of, but in our tradition, we can embrace and look at so many different sources, including direct experience, right? And value them equally and find what works for us and what speaks for us. And I find that if I take the time for, to get that spiritual grounding for myself, and it changes, it's fluid, I don't always do the same thing. That it helped me help sustain the challenges that we meet when we are doing activist work or trying to move an organization forward or whatever our personal ministry is. So I just wanna reiterate how important I think that is and how varied it can be. That we need to be welcoming and accepting and supporting people in all the different approaches and I think with nature, so many people say nature is my church. And I think that's true. And there's something very special there. When we have that deep reverence for life, we are more prone to protect it with our heart and soul. That'll preach. Oh, Cindy, thank you so much. I was in that class with Cindy. And I confess, I was a hot mess that year. That was just a few months after my father had died. And so I signed up for this class, Spiritual Practice for Healing. Oh, boy, oh, boy. It was intense. 
but in that class, I learned also that art was a way for me to heal. Mm-hmm. But I love the way you described how you took the environmental commentary, the prose and the deep, passionate writings about the earth and nature and and this wonderful world in which we live and look to that as a vehicle through which to challenge your own place in this world. You know, one of the great things that religion does is it answers and asks and asks again, who are we? Why are we here? And what are we going to do about it? And I think that is a marvelous way. And I also want to note that that does not actually get require getting outside and getting your toes in the dirt. You know, that's wonderful. I know that this past week in Washington, D.C., there has been a ton of daily climate action stuff happening outside the White House. There have been some distressing things coming out of Washington about potential cuts to the budget in the area of climate. And I'm wondering, first off, what all are you all doing in this professional ministry for environmental things? And then, of course, the follow-up question to that would be, what can our members do? What can our listeners do? What can our our congregations do um, to support that work? Yes, um, there's an organization called Build Back Mm -hmm. Fossil Free. And they they are sponsoring the People versus Fossil Fuel events of this week. And I was in Washington on Monday for the action, which was entirely led by indigenous people. I think about 135 people were arrested. We marched, we centered ourselves in prayer and music, and we followed the lead of the indigenous leaders. Went to to the White House, which is federal property. So if you're on the White House sidewalk and you don't leave when they ask you to, then you get your three warnings and get arrested. So the speakers there spoke about Biden not coming through on his pledges to indigenous people and the use of their treaty lands and stopping the fossil fuel infrastructure. Those kinds of activities are continuing all this week. Yesterday was a day of the multi-faith clergy uh, on site, but I was gone by then. But we had some other UU ministers, quite a few who have been involved. The way for listeners to get involved is to look up Build Back Fossil Free and Go to the Ministry for Earth website and look for resources where you can sign on to petitions, send Biden a letter, these kinds of things, and take local action. Another organization doing organizing local action is Green Faith. If you go to the UU Ministry for Earth website, there are going to be ways people can get involved through the UU Ministry for Earth umbrella to be involved in environmental justice advocacy. As much as there's the immediate crisis, I wanna hold up Justice on Earth is an amazing resource. It's people of faith working at the intersection of race, class, and the environment. It's from Skinner House. It is deep, it is reflective. You have everyone from amazing lay leaders like Paula Cole Jones to various ministers from Reverend Mel Hoover all over the country who are reflecting on Unitarian Universalism, climate crisis, environmental justice. Um, And if you haven't read it, it can be transformative because of the last questions about what our faith means in this moment.
I will piggyback that that book is a must read for Unitarian Universalist uh, climate activists and justice uh, warriors. And for me, one of the things that it highlights is that when we think about climate justice, there are many times we, we want to compartmentalize and segment the environment. We're thinking about nature. When we think about justice, we're only thinking about people or whatnot, and, and not to see how they're all really connected, how both the economics, our original sin of white supremacy and colonization, and our destruction of the environment are really all, they're unfortunately intertwined in a very um, dismal way. And I think in addressing um, the climate crisis, our approach needs to be uh, in a multi-tier. We need to be thinking about all these things. So when we're thinking about our spiritual grounding, and next week we'll talk more about this, but our eighth principle, um, that is really important in thinking of dismantling oppressions when we think about dismantling how white supremacy and colonization as pretty much, I would say, one of the biggest proprietors of the climate crisis. So within our spiritual grounding, we have to be thinking of those lens. What does it mean to care for Earth and saying that as human beings, we are part of Earth. We are not this separate entity. Um, that's why our seventh principle is so important. As we think about actions we can take, as we think about this month, I think we, we need to just see how the politics of the day, you know, the environmental justice, the climate crisis, all those things, everything is just very much linked. So please go to uh, UU Michigan's website um, and participate in ways that you can. Um, this is a crucial month, really, when it comes to climate change, as we're entering the, the COP26, the United Nations Conference in, in Glasgow. And reason why both the addressing climate justice and the politics are going to be so interlinked. And so it's, it, it's really crucial for us to get involved and to still stay grounded to not lose ourselves in this work. People should also know that uh, if they search the VIEW archives, we had authors from Justice on Earth on the VIEW when that book came out, which is now a year or two ago. So that was a great conversation too. So watch that episode. You know, I think one thing you're getting at that I think we need to be explicit about is that both systems of domination and the abuse of power um, and the theologies of resilience and resistance that develop in response to those systems are connected across whatever power you're, you're talking about being abused, right? So, you know, when we understand that BIPOC communities, that poor communities, that disabled people are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis, are disproportionately affected by pollution because of where polluting industries are, are cited, and that communities that have faced oppression have deep theologies of resilience and resistance. So those of us who don't come from those communities need to be studying. Those of us who are white, and especially, you know, white men need to be studying womanist theology to learn about what it what it means to make a way out of no way, what it means to to move forward in whatever way we can despite the overwhelming odds.
against us um, because of the structures that have been created by the people in power. So like both the, both the systemic abuse of power, the white supremacy culture, it, it's all connected. And also the theologies that are needed to address it are connected across those, those identities and those uses of power as well. I think it's important to note that in, in this work, I understand you all came with some stories too. And if you haven't had a chance to tell them, we have about 10 minutes left in our show. And I want to make sure that, that you have a chance to tell the stories that you came here to share with our, with our viewers. So are there things that you wanted to make sure our people heard? I'll jump in. Please. I think one of the things for me that's been sustained for me as a musician is that art piece and that creativity. For me, it's I'll take my guitar, drive up to the mountains and just like find ways, either write music or do something. And I don't want that to be limited to just, oh, the, the music directors. Ways that in our own world that we can do these same practices, um, I think is really important. And so finding ways to create art, poetry, um, dance, whether it is for just you in your bedroom or it's for you and you're going out to perform for whoever. I think that is, that's really important. Something that comes to mind is um, my mother, she never danced in public. When, when I remember growing up, she would just like, um, I'm dancing. <laughs> and she'd be in there, she closed the door and you hear music. <laughs> and that, that was a sustaining thing for my mother, just a way of finding um, resilience. For me, other ways is, is to really ground yourself in your communities as, that are there, to really find that, those meaningful moments of connection with people. Because that reminder that with climate, the climate crisis, the earth will keep spinning. And what really we're trying to address is, will it be a livable, livable planet for all being all living beings? That's really what we're trying to address. And so to connect with other humans is part of that grounding and part of that reminder of like, yes, this is part of being alive. It's part of being human, of um, being a, a species in this universe. Yeah, this this Sunday in Church of the Larger Fellowships worship service, we're actually going to be talking about dance and creativity and songwriting as embodied forms of prayer for people of all bodies um, and abilities. So hopefully, if if people are inspired by your exhortation to to dance and move as a spiritual practice, um, you can get some practice with that with the Reverend Aaron Walter on Sunday night. Cindy. And Daniel, did you did you also have stories to share? I just want to reiterate that the importance of taking the time to be spiritually grounded and and building your own resilience, and then working to make that a part of the culture of a community you live in, whether that's a in a brick and mortar congregation or you're in a, a small group setting somewhere, or you're somewhere on your own. It's really important that we have that strength, but that we also realize that we can't do this alone. And so we don't wanna be alone, we wanna be part of a movement. So find your people, wherever they are, one, two or more um, to do this work. And also I think when we talk about climate justice activism, environmental justice activism, 
we tend to go to the extreme activist thought, like, oh, I'm not ready to chain myself to the White House fence, right? But we need to realize there are roles for everyone in the revolution, right? We need our caretakers. We need the people on the back lines backing up and providing the support. We need the people out in front. We need the people going to the policy meetings in the town. We need the people trying to move the congregation into the Green Sanctuary Program. We need all these different things. So there is a role there for you somewhere. But the challenge is to be grounded enough that you can find the right role for you. My thought is encouraging. Look at UU Ministry for Earth. We have the Young Adult Caucus for Climate Justice. We have the BIPOC Caucus for Climate Justice. We have a group that meets each month called Strengthening Local Climate Commitments for folks who are really into policy in their local city or town. There are a lot of communities of UUs. There are a lot of communities of people in general, but even within our, our UU association, there are communities of folks gathering to accompany one another in these heartache times. And we, you know, we know that the reality is crisis, but even in crisis, we can accompany one another. And, and to me, that's what's, what's healing and hopeful is in our congregations, we like candles of joy and sorrow. And I feel our work is, is to live in those moments of joys and sorrow together. Thank you so much. Folks from UU Ministry for Earth will be joining us in two weeks again on The View to talk a little bit more about programs and initiatives that are happening. Do you want to give us a two-minute preview of, I guess, Ali Tharp, the other co-executive director of UUMFE, will be joining us then. But if does someone want to give us like a two-minute preview of what people can look forward to in two weeks? You, it will be a delightful surprise, but you will meet Ali Tharp <laughs> and also um, Paula Cole-Jones, who's one of the co-chairs of the BIPOC Caucus for Climate Justice. We'll have different leaders involved in community and activist work. We're partners of UUMFE or leaders awesome. of some of our caucuses. So it's going to be a good one. I'm going to tune in. I hope you do too. Next week on The View, we will be talking with Stacy Borden of New Beginnings Reentry Services. Mm -hmm. Stacy is doing work um, with incarcerated women as they end their, their time of incarceration and are re-entering the free world and that's it's difficult and important work that she's going to be talking with us about so we're we're looking forward to that conversation and coming back to to environmental justice in two weeks anyone have any last things you want to say before we, we wrap up i'll just add uh first thank y'all for um having us and i think going forward as parting words just remember that we are in crisis we are in code red and um, the more that we can both highlight these things in our daily life and our worship service, our congregations, not from a place of, I don't want to say panic. I think you should panic for a little bit and then <laughs> you, wanna, you, wanna move, you need to move through those emotions. You need to move through the anxiety. You can't stuff it down, but to come from a place of groundedness. And we do that through our spiritual grounding. And that's what being a faith movement is all about that's what we're here to do there there is a meditation by thurman the growing edge and there's a line in it that says like all around us worlds are dying and new worlds are being born all around us life is dying and life is being born the fruit ripens on the tree 
The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against the time when there shall be new leaves, fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. And that's just a stanza. You, should, you can check out the whole thing, but that's that extra breath, he says, that extra breath is what keeps me going. Well, we can't really improve upon the beautiful words of the Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman. So thank you so much. This has been The View, and we're, we've been really excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit clfuu.org slash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, to rate it, and to review it so that others can find us. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.